I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Hope you're getting through the week, getting through the day. Got a great show planned for you, all sorts of things to talk about. Wanted to start by talking about something I think a lot of us are kind of experiencing right now, which is... Uh, the re-watching. I was one of those people who never owned movies or videos because I never re-watched things. Everything was a one-off. And I was looking at some, I was reading something and by default stumbled upon a commentary on why a lot of us are re-watching movies and shows. Now, one of the reasons is because we're running out of things to watch. I think that was the impetus for me to return to re-watching some things. But then I started to kind of get into this groove of wanting to, to finish a series that I've already seen, rewatch other ones. And this one, and this article was just very gently kind of exploring why that is. And I thought it was some really interesting points that they made. Uh, and it's something that I think a lot of us, like I said, are kind of experiencing. One of the things is we know how they'll make us feel. So we'll turn to some of these television shows and movies that we've already seen as a way to help us regulate our emotions. And that's good. It's called coping. We need coping mechanisms, right? Things are going to happen that are bigger than what we have the internal resources for. And we're allowed to rely upon other things to help us get through a difficult time. We're allowed to check out. We're allowed to temporarily dissociate. And that's what we do when we're napping, reading a book, watching a movie, listening to music, window shopping, daydreaming. All these are different ways of self-soothing and regulating our emotions and re-watching, a difficult, uh, re-watching certain TV shows and movies are about that. It's kind of like how I was talking a lot about music. You know, I'll listen to music that matches the kind of mood I'm in to help me drop deeper into it or to maybe pull me out. If I'm having a rough day and I kind of want to just take the edge off, I might listen to some happier, bouncier music. Movies and television are that way as well. And if we know the show or the movie or the series, we know how it makes us feel. And so we know what to expect. And that also ties into the next piece, which is they bring back happy memories of earlier times when we've watched them. They can also bring back heavier times, darker times, more complicated times. They can also put a smile on our face because we have good associations. And that's what I started to go back to, shows that really just kind of soothed me, made me feel good, held me. So think about that. Are there shows or series that you can count on putting a smile on your face, making you laugh? Because that's what that's about right now. Right now, we need time away from Every time I turn on the news, it's another story about the Delta virus and COVID, another you know political issue, uh, the climate change that's happening in my clinical practice, a lot of difficult, heavy material, people around me, and shows and movies are really powerful ways of checking out and dissociating. And like I said, they can bring back memories. Also, when we're dealing with uncertain times, they can offer safety, consistency, and more importantly, predictability. When we are stressed, when we are feeling like life is da- you know, chaotic or difficult, we need predictability. We need familiarity. And re-watching something, listening to a song that we love, rereading a book. I reread books as well. Going back to movies and TV shows, they're familiar. They're predictable. They're reliable. We know what we're going to get. We've seen it. And we need that. And that started to really remind me, and also not to mention that rewatching something, you have a different experience of it. You catch things you didn't catch before. You're able to maybe pick up on other storylines. Maybe you can drop deeper into it because you've already tackled the, uh, the novelty, the newness, the superficiality, and you can drop deeper into it or not, right? But that's part of why that works. Also, they require less mental energy. That familiarity, that predictability, there's a framework and a structure requires less energy. We don't need to focus as much. We don't need to pay as much attention. We already know the general structure, structure, story arc, storyline. And so we're not needing to focus as much. We can just kind of sit in the subtleties. 
We can have an emotional experience of it. And I think that's why we also rewatch songs. It's also why we like primary partnership. It's consistent. It's reliable. It's why it's hard to be in relationships with people that aren't predictable or reliable. We need that in our lives. And so ask yourself, if times are really tough right now, do you need maybe more consistency, reliability, and predictability in the people in your life, in the things you're doing in your life? And, 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 and that might be just what grounds you or anchors you. When the rest of the world's feeling chaotic, we have to control what we can control. And that might be the people we you know, spend time around or even the visual components or the entertainment components. Put a smile on our faces. We have memory, nostalgia. Our brain is such a meaning-making machine. And memory is very associative. And anything we are reminded of, it'll carry with it also the emotional experience. And that can be good and bad. But if we harness that for good and we watch things and listen to things and spend time with people that bring us back to the positive, well, it's going to impact us in that way and it's going to be beneficial. And so again, the takeaway is in a difficult time, a stressful time, a chaotic time, return to what's familiar and predictable. Maybe where you travel to, Maybe you spend your weekend going to something that's familiar, a restaurant, a coffee shop, a location with people you're familiar with, or maybe you need the opposite. If you're feeling a little depressed and flat, maybe you need a lot of newness and novelty. So you do want to check out that new film that people have been talking about, or go read a new book, or go check out a new coffee shop or a new restaurant, because maybe you need that that uh, that excitement, that um that, that novelty, that energy that's carried in that versus the more familiar and predictable. So it depends on what mood you're in and what kind of mood you're trying to be in. But, but know that these small little things like rewatching a show actually have a far deeper, bigger psychological and emotional meaning. It's interesting when we look at things through that lens. All right, y'all, we got to take a break. But uh, in that break, if you got a DM for us or a topic you want covered, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. We'll be back. Stick around. Listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q in Odyssey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. All right, we're back, and uh, we're going to talk about meltdowns. Now, really kind of focusing on parent and child, but this is also adult to adult because, again, it's always the same skills. It's just in an age-appropriate delivery. And that's what's so fascinating about psychology and relationships. I'll help people better understand how to be a better adult or partner by using child references. If I'm working with an adult and I say to them, hey, you don't know how to soothe your partner when they're upset, I'll say to them, what would you do if you saw a sad child? Bam, all of a sudden the skills are there. What would you do? Because children soften us, we'll, we'll give them vulnerability. We do know how to encounter a sad child. But as adults, it's a little bit harder for us. So I'll use that reference a lot. What would you do if your child came home excited about something? What would you do if your child came home sad about something? What would you do if your child was disappointed? What, what, are, the, what are the things you would do to make them feel as though you care, as though you're close, as though you're present? Do that with your adult partner too. We never outgrow the need for mirroring. We never outgrow the need for people to be present and close and to be connected. We never outgrow that. That's the biggest myth 
is that adulthood is moving away from relationship towards independence. We don't need independence and separation. We need more integration, interdependence. We never outgrow the need for other people, other people's care and support, especially during a difficult emotional times. We don't want to be turning to golfing and video games. We want to turn to people, turn to those in your life. That is how we co-regulate. That's soothing. Yes, it's good to have coping and distraction. Sometimes we do need to check out with a book, go to the gym, play some music, go see a movie. But that's not dealing with. That's taking time away from, and that has a place. Coping mechanisms have a place, but what's going to serve us the best is to turn to someone else, which is also enhancing in our relationship, and get familiar with that co-regulation. So how do we deal with difficult children, aka adults as well, right? Well, first, get close. Our first response when someone's having a difficult time cannot be distance and to lean away. I can't tell you how many therapy sessions in couples and marital therapy in my office, whereas one person is expressing difficult emotion, anger, frustration, sadness. The other person is leaning away, looking away, and if they could, they just roll off the couch and out the door because they just don't have comfort or familiarity leaning into emotions. Now, the person expressing it does need to not do it in a way that's flooding and in a way that makes it unsafe for anyone to connect and be present and lean in and try to help them. So there has to be a relational component to emotional expression. We do need to regulate it and digest it a little bit. I always say to people, don't just vomit it out. Sit with it for a second. Process it a little bit. Let it digest. But we do need to learn how to be present to other people's emotional experiences. We talked about this, I believe, on last night's show. I think it was last night's show. Talking about how we have to learn how to turn to others. We can't use external and or auto regulation all the time. Every time we've had a rough day, we can't go to the video games or the television. That is going to actually decrease our ability to be an intimate present person. We have to work on amping that up. I want us to be more familiar, lean in more. Remember, in our childhood, we came home from a rough day and our parents might have said, here, eat this cookie, you'll feel better. Here, go outside and play, you'll feel better, which is basically dismissive. That is the most dismissive response is when someone sends you off. What we need is someone to be present, to mirror, to create a safe container and to say, come here, come closer. Tell me what you're feeling and for them to sit in it with us, which is one of the most important parts of therapy is finally having another human being sit in our material with us. It retrains our nervous system to trust the presence of others. It also trains us to be able to feel safe turning to others. We're reminded our needs will get met. That's how we really work through. We are at our best and most resilient when we're with others. Resiliency is about relationship. Resilience and mental health is about having other people you can turn to. As adults, we still need what we call a safe haven, someone to turn to in difficult times. We do not outgrow that. Children, it's mandatory. As adults, it's something we try hard to have. We also need what we call secure base, which means someone who instills confidence in us and, and supports us in going out into the world and doing things. So that's a little side tip. You want to be a good boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, or wife? Support your partner in going off into the world and trying things. Support their adventures. If they're like, yo, I'm going out on a friend's weekend, say, that's right, go and have fun. Oh, I want to go back to school or try a new job. That's right. You go do that. We have to have, that's the secure base, a safe place from which to go off into the world. We do better knowing that there's someone there that we just left to go off and out into the world and explore and also a safe haven to come back to. But as adults, we need that as well. That's what we try to create in our close friendships and in our primary partnerships. You can be poly and open and have multiple primary figures. It doesn't matter. We need at least one. My God, be poly and have multiple. That's even better. But we need to have it somewhere. But as children, we're often not given that because we're gay and we're bullied or we're trans and we don't fit in and we're made fun of or we're of color and we're in an all-white school or we're just around people that don't know how to deal with emotion and they say, go play a video game if you're sad or throw a punch if you're sad. We need people to say, come here and sit with me. So that's the first tip, the first trick or the mandate, the first mandate of being a healthy person in someone's life is that you get close to them. When you want to lean out, lean in. We need to learn how to be more present. We don't want to honor our initial impulse to lean away from difficult emotionality. If a sad child came in and said, I had a rough day, I hope you wouldn't walk away. I hope you'd walk towards and say, come here. You might even do what? Open your arms and say, "Get you know, come even closer. We scoop them up. We scoop up little crying babies and children. But if children are raised in families where that doesn't happen and they're left to cry it out, they don't actually, when babies cry it out and they're like, oh, they'll, you know, just leave them alone. They'll cry themselves to sleep. We now know they actually give up. 
They didn't learn how to self-soothe. We do not learn how to self-soothe by being left alone. Hear that, if nothing else, from my show tonight. We learn how to self-soothe by being in relationship to others who teach it to us, in front of us, with us. It's something we borrow from them. It is taught to us. So babies that just cry themselves asleep, they've given up. They've actually gone into a collapse response. You talk about fight or flight, they've gone catatonic. They're flighting and they're going into tonic immobility, a frozen response. They're giving up, they're collapsing. They have not learned how to self-regulate. What they're maybe doing is auto-regulation. They're learning how to dissociate from others and look for these external things. That is not a good sign. So again, we want to lean in. We want to get closer when people are struggling or needing us. We're going to take a little break and um, we'll come back and talk more about this. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q in Odyssey. All right, we're back talking about tips to deal with emotionality and to deal with meltdown, meltdowns that happen with children. But again, these are skills that apply to adults because adults and children, we all have the same needs. They're human needs. We never outgrow them. But sadly, we've normalized this abusive measure of thinking once you reach a certain age, you shouldn't need others and you should separate out and be independent. No, we need people. We Our resilience, our mental health is tied to the health of others. We are relational creatures. Our brains and nervous systems are social organs. They need other people to be healthy and at their most robust. The worst thing we can do to children is separate them when they're not ready. And I know that we have these things like it's time for school. Those are not real natural creations. That is not a natural developmental timeline. That's one we've made up because we decided school starts at 8 a.m. Or by this age, you should be ready to be away from your parent. We made that up. In the animal kingdom, animals are with their parents until they no longer need them. There's not a magical timeline when the animal's like, time to go. We made that up. And it can be emotionally abusive. I know it's normalized, but that is very traumatic for a child to be forced to separate and to step into independence when they're not ready. In fact, we're never independent. Literally, we cannot actually do that. If you look at how the system and everything's constructed, everything's built on the labor and, and you know input of others. But mentally, we always need the presence of others. Isolation is toxic. Isolation also leads to psychosis and dissociation. We need presence of others to be doing reality testing, to really keep our feet grounded in reality. We need closeness and connection. So the second tip, the first tip, when someone's struggling, anyone, I said, is get closer to them, lean in, lean in. We have to help other people. This is even a more global community-based perspective, which is it doesn't matter if it's someone in another household, help them. It doesn't matter if it's another neighborhood, help them. That's an arbitrary division. It doesn't matter if they're in another state, help them. Please send money to people that are devastated by natural disasters and forest fires and whatever else is going on. People in other countries, help them too. That's another arbitrary dividing line. Everyone needs help and care. We need to offer it. So the first step is leaning in, getting closer. Don't lean out. We've gotten too familiar leaning out and away from, thinking that as adults, we should learn how to deal with everything on our own. That's not true. That's isolation. It's actually very toxic, but it's especially bad for children. And that's how we set them up to be very avoidant, to have what we call an avoidant or anxious attachment style, which is when they're trained to believe no one's there to help you meet your needs. No one's responsive. No one's going to mirror back care. You're on your own. That's traumatic, but we normalize that because it's time to go to school or because you're a boy and boys don't cry or boys don't hug their mom. Good parenting means we stay connected. Yes, they go off to school or they move away and they build friendships and alliances with people in their age bracket, but we can still be a part of their life. We don't need to kick them out. I think it's great when people are friends with their parents. I'm very close with my mom and my dad up until my dad's death, and I'm still very close with my mom. That's not pathological. That's not immature. That's healthy. We need people in our lives. I think it's great. We can stay close to a parent while still going off to school or off into the world. We can't be overly dependent. You cannot be overly dependent. It's either effective or ineffective. And if your dependence is ineffective, that means because it's with someone who isn't able to provide that and they're toxic, and then you need to go find that dependence on someone else. But dependence is healthy. Uh, So the second skill we're talking about when someone's having difficulty is number one, get close and lean in. Number two, get lower, meet them where they're at. This is specific to children. Drop down to their height. Don't be this tall, menacing figure looking down. Squat down, sit down and look at them. Meet them at their level, but do that with adults as well. We're not being patronizing. It doesn't matter what your label or role is. It's not, well, I'm the dad. It doesn't matter. I'm boss. It doesn't matter. Those are made up things. Be a person. There's another person in front of you who needs help. Help them. We need to do more horizontal power dynamics. 
there's some households, God bless it, where dad has to sit at the head of the table. Oh my God, you need that, your ego needs that chair at the head of the table to have a demonstration of control and power. Why are you so fragile that you need control and power? And why does it need to be demonstrated by where you sit? Like these are the very bizarre ways that we disconnect from relationality and community care and, and, and mutuality, right? We're always trying to create these artificial divisions. Oh, that's another country or I'm the dad and it's what I say or like whatever it is. It's like, that's not real. Just drop down to people's levels and meet them where they're at. I think difficult emotionality and struggle is what's so humanizing and it's balancing, right? It's everyone meeting each other on the most honest level because we all have the same emotional and psychological needs. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are. It doesn't matter what positions or power you have. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter your sexual orientation. We all need to have a, a reliable, consistent, responsible, responsive people in our lives, period, throughout our entire lifespan. We never outgrow that, never. And so our mental health will always be tied to the health of those around us and also how we relate to them and how they relate to us. So be a better parent, be a better friend, be a better human. Lean in when someone needs you, but also drop down and meet them at their level. And sometimes it's a physical thing. Like I said, as an adult, sit down and look at the child, balance out that power, meet them where they're at. That's what's very soothing. That's what's very healing. All right, we're gonna take a break. And we're going to slide into those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, question, topic, drop it in there. And uh, then when we come back, we'll keep talking about ways to master dealing with people's emotional struggles, especially kind of looking at from the lens of uh, meltdowns that children might have and how parents and adults can help them. But, uh, you know, we're expanding it out because these are universal, universalizable, ubiquitous skills that we require, but often we've been socialized and don't have. So stick around. We're going to do that and uh, past episodes of Loveline over at wearechannelq.com. So go over there and check it out. We'll be back listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around, y'all. All right, we are back. Sliding into the DMs. Time to slide into those DMs. DMs are always open. We want to hear from you any questions you have. Someone else might be wondering the same thing or topics you want covered or want us to drop deep into. Let us know. Past episodes over are always over at wearechannelq.com as well. Scroll down, click on Loveline. Bam, there they are. All right, this one's a short one. Let's see what you say. You said, Dear Dr. Chris, what are some ways I can feel more confident in bed? I've gained weight, and honestly, I'm always tired. And uh, I'm always tired, but I do want to have sex. I just can't or won't. Oh, a thousand things. Our bodies are going to change throughout the course of our lifetime as we age and ability, disability, medications, emotional stuff. We have to just be able to be sexual with our body as it is. I don't know what's to come next. You know, as I age, my body changes and I'm not familiar with it. And it doesn't always match what I've been told it has to look like for me to be able to feel sexy and confident. And I've had to work really hard on saying this, <clears throat> excuse me, this is what it is. And it will continue to get better and worse. And those words don't even really mean anything. Those are culturally defined. We want to be present. And if you're with a safe partner in a safe relationship, they understand that sex is about connection and fun and intimacy. And they're open to the idea that our bodies are going to change, but they're there to have sex with you. And it's about being with you. And it's about feeling close to you. And they see above and beyond our form, the material. It's ego. We got to get out of our ego and just be soul to soul, as they say. I think it's such a beautiful thing. We don't want to be with someone who's going to objectify us and, and, and want us to you know, somehow surpass aging and ability and all these other factors. We want to be with someone who's wanting a deeper, more love-based connection. And so it's a bad sign if someone's always riding you to look a certain way for them to feel attracted to you because then it's conditional and it's not really about you right? It, they, want, they want to have sex with a fantasy and that's, there's maturing to do around that. Uh, so yes, I'll say that as the first part. And then the other, your first part of your question, how do I feel, how do I feel more confident in bed? Well, we're not always going to. So let me just start by saying that the goal can't be if I'm going to have sex, I have to feel confident. If we are having sex with someone that we trust, we feel safe with, we don't need to feel confident. And that's where this word erotic empathy comes in, where if your partner finds you arousing, don't take that away from them. Don't deny that. Let them see you as arousing. Let them have access to that. You don't have to see yourself as hot and sexy, but if they do, don't deny them that. Don't try to take that away from them. Don't try to challenge that. Give yourself to them and, and let yourself see your eroticism reflected back to you. Our self-esteem and self-worth is reflected back to us. Whatever you're thinking about your body, you're only judging your body based on this external 
ideal that you've been told you have to align with. So that again is another example of how it's reflected back to us. The world's saying, look like this. And if you don't, don't feel good. And you're like, all right, I want you to let your partner's reflection be more powerful than cultural's, the cultural reflection. You only have to feel sexy to your partner. What makes you feel sexy? Go back to that. And it can't be your body shape or size. What are the kinds of things you like to wear or to do? Let the eroticism take over. If we can step into a high level of arousal, then that will drop our inhibitions and that'll make us able to be more present in our body. Think about it. When we're turned on, our inhibitions get reduced. And that's why we'll maybe do things sexually that we wouldn't do non-sexually. You know, in a state of eroticism, we might be willing to put someone's foot in our mouth or put our face in their armpit. Well, out in the normal non-erotic waking world, we're not going to want to necessarily do that. But once we're turned on, we're willing to kind of step into some of that. Again, our inhibitions drop. So allow yourself to get aroused with yourself or your partner, knowing that that'll essentially breed more confidence over, over rely on that eroticism, the more we amp that up, the more we're, you know, the less we're aware of ourselves even. But it's also going to be familiarity. You have to step into sexuality with the body you currently have to get more familiar being in that body. And also finally, just to take note, pay attention to the kind of erotica and porn you're looking at. If you're constantly having sex while with yourself, looking at bodies that aren't yours, Again, you're building in this idea that that's what I have to look at. You're tying your arousal to that. Start watching very body diverse porn. Watch porn that has bodies giving pleasure, deriving pleasure that looks like yours. And you will start to associate arousal with that body. Our sexualities are that plastic in those ways. So don't watch porn that has bodies that aren't like yours. We've normalized way too much porn and porn stars that have a certain type of body. Challenge that. There's tons of body diverse porn. We have to eroticize ourselves. Start watching films that eroticize yourself so you can internalize that. It's a powerful mechanism. Don't undermine that. The kind of porn you're looking at matters. The kinds of things you're following on social media matter. Unfollow all those gym things that are talking about ripped bodies, no pain, no gain, all that. Get rid of that and start following more body positive stuff. Start having more body body positive conversations as well. We need more of that. All right, stick around, y'all. We're going to take a break. We'll be back. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris, Channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back. And we're talking about, before the DMs and the break, we were talking about emotional regulation. And I was using it from the entry point of how adults can help children. But it's a wider discussion of just how to be better and how to be better prepared and better, you know, better skills to help those around us that are struggling. Because from, as they say, cradle to the grave, we always need others. And independence is a lie. Not only can we not ever truly have it, we don't need it. We don't need to separate out and individuate. We need to work on our relational selves. We do not have that nailed down. That's why I always bulk at people saying, oh, learn how to be single. Why? Unless you want to be single, great work on that. Otherwise, learn how to be a better relational person in every relationship in your life because we have, we are far from having gotten that all down. So learn how to do that. Learn how to be more relational and better. So we're just talking about different tricks so that we can be better for people when they need us emotionally and vice versa because our culture has made these problematic moves like at a certain age, we rip you away from your parents and send you off to school and we're like, that's just how it is. Or you're a boy, so you can't cry. Or parents that don't know how to be there for someone emotionally and teach them how to self-regulate and, and rely on others. And so they send them off to play video games or play outside, which is a dismissive way of saying, emotions don't matter. They certainly don't matter to me. I can't sit in them with you. And I'm training you to believe that no one can. And so as adults, we have to be better. We have to fix that. We have to correct that. Uh, we have to be around others that can help us be a part of that. That's the work of adulthood is how can I improve upon who I am and where I'm at? And dependence is never bad. You can't be overly dependent. It's how effective is that dependence and on the person you've tried to have it with? Because often we are using ineffective ways of being dependent on the wrong people, but we do need others. So the first thing we're talking about is when someone's struggling, don't run away, don't send them away, lean in, get close. They need presence. They need presence. And presence is not just about proximity. It's not just physically being there. It's also the way you're there. That's actually what matters more. Yes, you need to physically be there, but how you are being there when you're there, it's the how. And that fell into the second step. Get lower, get on their level, meet them where they're at. If you have to physically drop down or sit, but meet them where they're at, get rid of your label. It doesn't matter if you're the boss or the father or whatever these other roles are that we think absolve someone of responsibility for another human being's emotional struggle. Or I don't know if you're a man or, or you're a girl and it's a guy and you don't think a woman should have to be an emotional caretaker. Whatever, whatever 
ways you try to remove yourself from responsibility. If someone's struggling, we need to be there. Drop down on their level. That's the most powerful thing I've learned as a therapist, truly meeting someone authentically where they're at and not playing this distant game of I'm an expert so I always know better or I don't need to show emotion. I try to be emotional with my clients when emotional things happen. I try to really show care when care can be shown. Let them really know someone's in it because that's what we need. We need to know that people are there. We need to know that people are, that they care. We need responsiveness. That's the main word. Hear me say that. We need people that are responsive because trust is really built upon this one question and the answer we think. And that question is, are you there for me? And if we don't think they are, then trust isn't going to be there. Trust is built on believing that the answer is yes. Talking right now about all the different ways we show that we're there, that we're reliable and responsive. By leaning in, by getting lower and meeting people where they're at. I told you a couple segments ago that some people in my office, one of the partners starts getting upset and the other one is doing everything they can to not have to be a part of it. They're looking away. They're telling them to knock it off. Even sometimes handing someone a box of tissues is a way of saying, stop crying. It's not actually meant to help them wipe their tears off. It's usually a way to shut them up. Or saying things like, it'll be okay. That's basically saying, you're overwhelming me. Just stop. And then we slide into toxic positivity. Just put a smile on your face at all costs. doesn't really matter what you're thinking or feeling. I'd rather you just fake a smile than make me feel something. Because that's part of why we struggle sometimes with people's emotions is if you feel something, I have to feel something. And I don't want to. Also, the other tip is keeping words to a minimum. Usually when people are struggling with something difficult, they just need someone to be present. Most people when they're struggling emotionally don't need solutions or actions. It's like someone says, oh, I have to go visit someone in the hospital, I don't know what to say. Or I have to go see someone who's lost someone, I don't know what to say. And I always say, don't say anything, just be present, stand there, look at them lovingly. If appropriate, hold their hands and sit with them, listen. But people that are struggling with something emotional want emotional responses, and that's about presence and empathy. They don't usually want actions or solutions. Here's what you got to do. All right, we're going to blah, 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 blah. That is not meeting them where they're at. That's not lowering yourself to their level. That's taking them out of the emotion and into their head, out of their body and into their head, out of emotion and into rational thinking. There is a time and place for solutions and fixes, but that's not the time when someone's feeling very emotional. Just be present. So keep your words to a minimum. Don't do a lot of talking. Let them talk. But you have to be willing to feel what they're feeling. You have to be willing to sit in it with them. You have to be willing to be vulnerable. And that's the difficulty. But don't go into solutions and fixes. Don't go into long diatribes. Don't make it about you by tell, starting to tell a story of your experience. That's what we tend to think empathy is. Well, let me tell you a story when I had. No, that's pulling us into our heads. It's pulling us out of the moment. It's also really putting the focus on you. And the person struggling needs to focus on them. We're going to come back and we'll keep talking about this. Uh, I've got a DM for us, though. We're going to close out with some DMs. So drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. And as always, past episodes are over at wearechannelq.com. We'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about how to deal with emotions. Ooh, spooky. It's important stuff because a lot of us are raised in families where they didn't know how. Now we don't know how we're going to raise our kids and date people and train them out of it. It's a mess. Intergenerational transmission of a lack of emotional availability. And that's what narcissism is. Narcissism is being in families where it's not relational. It's not emotional. Emotions are scary. You don't learn how to really connect with people. And so you turn to self and you focus on self. That's where narcissism comes from. I wasn't trained to connect to others and to see it as safe or available or to enjoy it or to see it as a resource. So empathy doesn't exist. Narcissistic people are wounded people that weren't taught to feel safe in relationships or taught empathy, but yet we penalize them. You're a narcissist as though it's their fault. Yes, we need to identify who we are and what our work is. Say it softer. This is a traumatized person. We don't attract traumatized people. You don't scream in someone's face, you're a depressive. Stop being depressed. Well, we have to be a little more kind. I see too many people, these influencers on this narcissistic stuff, just attacking that doesn't make it safe for someone to identify as such and to work on themselves when it's said in such a harsh way. Same with borderline personality disorders. Like we, we weaponize that stuff. If you ever hear yourself saying to someone, go get help, well, you're being a problem. If someone needs help, you lovingly say that and help them get it. It's kind of what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about how when someone's struggling, lean in, get close, pull them in. 
How do you handle something? I always say, what would you do if that was a child struggling with the same issue? Usually the answer is something soft and vulnerable, and that's what we need to give to adults too. We would usually soften our voice, squat down and look at them, maybe grab their little hands and hug them and, and say, we're here. We need to do that with adults as well. So if you don't know how to respond to an adult, ask yourself, what would I do if a little child was struggling in this way? And this is how parents can help children that have meltdowns. Stay close with them. Drop down to their level and look at them. Let them know you're there. Keep words to a minimum. Don't go up into the head. Stay in the emotional experience. But this is also what we need to do with adults. And then finally, we also need to what? Breathe. Because remember, if we're not regulated, they're not going to get regulated. And that's why when I see a, a child struggling in a store, and again, I empathize with the difficulty of being a parent, but when the parent gets dysregulated and starts screaming, I know that that child will never calm down because now the, the adult's amplifying it and the adult is not teaching them regulation. You're expecting the child to do and demanding in that moment, in that store, when they're having a meltdown, you're demanding they do what you are not able to do as evidenced by the fact that you can't even uh, calm down. You're now having a meltdown. So now I understand why the child melts down because you're a meltdown person. Children would be more regulated if you could be more regulated. I know parenting is hard, but you have to be the adult. Work on self-regulation if you're going to be a parent. My God, people need to think about this. Like, what, what are my struggles I'm going to give to my child? If you don't know how to not have meltdowns, you are not ready to be a parent. Work on co-regulation and self-regulation first so you can actually give that to them. They need that. Those are skills that we are taught. And so I, when I see a parent melting down, I'm like, well, that's why the child melts down because they don't have a better role model and you're demanding that they stop, but you're not even able to stop. We have to breathe. Breathing is the only way we can really soothe our autonomic nervous system and bring ourselves into our parasympathetic system and calm ourselves is breath. If you can breathe slow, your heart rate is going to be slow. If you can slow down and breathe slow and deeply, I trust that your words will be kinder and slower and softer. Our breath is going to match our thinking and our energy and our energy and our thinking is going to match our breath. Use your breath to set a new perspective, a new norm, a new tone. We need to breathe more because in those moments we're dysregulated, we're lost, we're in our head, we're overwhelmed. Breathe. It'll bring you back to the, your center. If you're still overwhelmed or dysregulated and you're in this moment needing to be the regulated one, when someone else is having a meltdown, they need you to be regulated. You can't also have a meltdown. We need an adult in the room at all times. And if your partner or literal child is acting like a child and losing themselves, you need to be the anchor and the adult. We can't both lose ourselves. They beat you to it. So you better be the, the, the break. When they're hitting the gas, you gotta be able to hit that break. So practice that. It's really, really, really important giving others what it is they need. We don't match their energy, meet them where they're at. That's how we amplify it, right? That's how we get it moving more, get it louder, get it faster. We have to be the break. It's called de-escalation. And the most powerful way to de-escalate is breathing. But if you can't get yourself that way, walk away for a minute. Get away from all that energy to breathe and calm yourself down. Go for a walk, count to 10. Breathe, breathe, breathe. If you're still ungrounded, look around, count colors, count the number of certain objects, whatever you need to do to bring yourself back to center. But these are things we have to be able to do as parents. And that's what we also have to be able to do when we're dating or married. Our partners need us. That's healthy, healthy interdependence. We want to turn to others when we're hitting the brakes so they can, or when we're hitting the gas, so they can kind of pump that brake for us. Be able and willing to do that. That's, that's what healthy relationships are about. The other can provide what we need. We're in a we're in a boat together. And if I lose my oar, or I can't row. I need to know that you got the ear over there rowing us, getting us to safety. It's like the other metaphor I use is I have to trust you're going to land the airplane. If I fall asleep, I have to trust that my co-pilot will get us there safely. I can't, you know, if, if I fall asleep, I have to trust that they're not going to fall asleep. And that's what happens with emotions. If I lose myself, I have to hope that they won't. If I can't regulate, I have to hope that they'll stay regulated. We need it. We get infected. We absolutely get infected with other people's emotions. We can. People do make us feel certain ways. Absolutely. In healthy individuals, they do. In sociopaths, they don't. But if you're healthy, you are impacted by others, positively and negatively. That's a good thing or a bad thing, depending on what kind of relationships and people were around. So assess that, especially if you're someone who struggles with emotional regulation and not getting overwhelmed and having meltdowns. You need to be around people that are very regulated, very calm. But if you get into a relationship, you're amplified and they amplify, it's a non-starter non-starter someone who's that aggressive and intense needs to be with someone softer and soothing we don't bring those two people together that's a nightmare that's how things uh, you know escalate to violence 
That is, that's danger, 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 danger. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be back. And then uh, later we'll be closing out with some DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Any questions you got, topics you want covered, something you want us to circle back and talk more about, let us know. Past episodes, as always, are over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for my name and the show. Bam, click on it. You can binge, post, reshare. We'll be back, though, so stick around. We're going to keep this conversation going. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around, y'all. We will be back. Alrighty, we're back, and we're essentially talking about self-regulation. You know, we're kind of talking about parents working with difficult children and skills that are required and just kind of talking about how adults need that too. We never outgrow the need to have others around us that can kind of help us get our needs met, help regulate us. Just about all the different ways to really self-regulate, co-regulate, help others, help children. Because again, we're not always going to have the ability to deal with what's happening around us. Uh, so we're just kind of talking about some of the relational stuff, some you know more solo, solitude-based stuff. Um, write about it. Journaling is really powerful for some people. Journaling wasn't always what worked best for me. I, I tend to do better with other methods, but for some people, journaling is a really great way to digest, process, and work through something. We don't we don't want to have undigested emotions. Sometimes we need to write it out. Writing it out allows a little more rationality to come in. It lets us really work through and land somewhere. We can do something with that material. So writing it out can be helpful. Also, art therapy can be great. I don't think we talk, talk enough about that or acknowledge the availability of that as a resource. Dance it, sing it, paint it, draw it, work with it somehow. Art therapy is a real thing. And art is a really good way to get out of our you know, left brain, more rational self and our conscious and go more to implicit memory, unconscious, more right brain, and maybe drop down into the emotional parts. You know, and so what would it mean if you really worked with the struggle or the emotion or the difficulty, like I said, by drawing it, painting it, singing it, dancing it, what would that mean? It'd be another way of approaching it, another way to really embody it. And there's something important in that. Art therapy is a really beautiful resource and we don't think enough about it. Like we said, you can turn to other people. Sometimes it's a matter of just walking away. It's important to be able to come back to it. You know, a lot of the studies, there was this really interesting uh, live study I saw, live study I saw. I was at a lecture and they did this live exercise and they had a couple that was in the audience come up and talk about something difficult. And they're like, all right, get, you know, bring up a topic that really frustrates both of you. And they did. And then they put this e-meter on their finger, which basically just measures heart rate, blood pressure kind of thing, seeing how, you know, dysregulated you are. And they said, okay, calm yourselves down. And then they assessed them and they said, you're not even calm. We overestimate our calmness. We think we're calm when we're not. We know that most likely if you're really elevated, you need at least probably about 20 minutes to really move through all the neurobiological things that happen when we're feeling dysregulated or threatened to get to a place that's more of an honest, neutral baseline. So that's why when someone say, take a walk, go count to 10, that's very helpful. That can move us away from making some bad decisions. But it's generally maybe not going to be enough time. 20 minutes or more can be better. But you know the key to that is we don't want to be avoidant and stonewalling. And so if, if someone says to you, I need time with this, it's okay to say to them, that's great. Let me know when we can come back and talk about it. As in literally, let me know. What time can we revisit this or when? Because some of these things can draw on forever. So it's fair to say, cool, let's talk about this again in an hour. Or let's come back at nine. It's okay to say that. You don't have to give someone a total pass to let days and weeks and years go by. You're allowed to say, great, let's talk again tonight or let's talk again tomorrow at lunch. Give them that initial space. If someone says, I don't feel good about where this is going or I don't feel, the, I don't feel good about how I'm starting to feel or the way I'm starting to talk to you, hear what I just said. Because healthy people will speak like that. I, they'll say, don't feel good about how I am starting to talk to you or what I'm starting to say and how I'm starting to feel. So I realize I need a timeout. Notice how self-aware that is. That's what it should be. We should be tracking ourselves. And when we are getting dysregulated, we request space because we don't want to see us harm other people. We have two boundaries. I have a boundary that protects me from other people, but I also have a boundary that protects other people from me. We need to be aware of that. And so when someone says, I need a moment, give them that moment. That's a healthy skill. But we have right to say, great, let me know. Literally give me a time or a day when we can come back, come back to this. That's appropriate. And give them at least 20 minutes or more. Some people need the rest of the day. That's fine. Let them go journal or dance it or you know, like whatever. But you have a right to say, when can we come back to this? Because we do need to come back to things. It shouldn't be a complete 
denial or avoidant tactic, but we do want to allow time to process. Not everyone can regulate while in the presence of the other or while in the presence of the trigger or the cue for that anxiety or, or difficulty, right? So allow that and honor that, but be better about tracking yourself. We want to catch ourselves. We want to protect other people from us. So that's what a healthy person does is they realize when they aren't confident or comfortable with how they're starting to talk or treat someone or feel, but we give them that, but it should be at least 20 minutes. Uh, we under, we really underestimate what has to happen in our body. Some people need more time than others. Other people, they can do it very quickly. It's a skill. You know, you practice it. It also depends on the way you're raised and the people you're around. Again, that's why we have to be around healthy people. It's really important that we get out of toxic or bad relationships sooner than later. Some people stay in them for years, and that really harms you. It harms your internal working model of how safe you feel around others and whether or not others are there for you. It messes with you neurobiological. We'll talk about that on another show. It messes with things that are important like vagal tone, nervous system response. It really trains and primes your nervous system to still be hypervigilant and hyper alert and to see others as a threat. It is bad. It's really bad. That's why I'm always saying get out of toxic relationships, friends, family members, coworkers, jobs, because our mental health and our physical health literally depend on it. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to slide in those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, bam, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Past episodes over at wearechannelq.com. We'll be back listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q in Odyssey. Stick around, y'all. We'll be back. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know the bigger the fight better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. All right, we are back. It's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, oh, I have a question. I've been with my fiance on and off for years. We've got engaged. We're a lesbian couple. Her family isn't really that excited, but my family loves her. She says we always do holidays, barbecues, and events at my house. That's because it's welcoming. Whenever she wants to go to her family, often ends up in conflicts and fights. I don't really know that I want the rest of my life to be like this because literally everything else is perfect except our time together with her family. I just don't feel welcome. And I've told her that maybe I'm just not direct enough. This is a difficult one because everyone, well, not everyone, let me say this very different. It's difficult because for some people, it is important to them to have a connection to have a connection and maintain a relationship with their family. And I'm happy that your family is very warm and welcoming. I'm happy that you've had an experience with your family where you want to be close. Your partner is trying to create that as well, and I want you to value that. You don't need to love your partner's family, but you need to honor that it's important to them, and that then makes it important to you. And part of being in a relationship is not having everything ideal. And I know we know that, but nonetheless, when some of the difficulties or complexities show up, we somehow want to make it not okay, but we, where did we get the idea that there's never going to be this thing that we're always working through? Every relationship has unsolvable things, and maybe here's one of yours, that sometimes you will have to take a few hours out of your life to go spend time there. That's all it is. We have to right-size it. Your girlfriend isn't saying, let's live with them. Your girlfriend's not saying, let's live next door and see them every day. She's saying, yeah, maybe once a month or around holidays, we're going to go spend some time with them. That has to be okay. Uh, if they're violent, well, of course not, but you're not saying that. You're just saying it ends in, in conflict. Yeah, they're a high-conflict family. That happens. It's a bummer, and I bet your girlfriend doesn't feel great about it, but she still wants to have a relationship with them because apparently when that isn't happening, things are good, and she cares about them. And so suck it up. That's my answer. Lovingly suck it up because she matters to you. But the answer isn't we're never going over there. It doesn't sound like it's toxic or violent. It just sounds like it's not ideal. 
or not as welcoming and warm. That's life. And again, all relationships have some unsolvable things. This might not be solvable. Show up to it anyway. That's how you show that you're truly committed. You're there through the difficult times. And this is an acceptable, appropriate level of difficulty. A lot of people's families aren't the idealized fantasy family, but we still want to have them in our lives. And so we're not going to ask her to not spend time with them because it's hard for you to just be present. Learn how to be present. And I don't know what the uh, unwelcoming moments feel like. I'm going to assume that they're you know, uncomfortable, but reasonable, deal with it. You know, maybe a few tweaks, maybe ask her to not leave you alone with a specific family member or at all. And you guys are always just kind of close and together and, you know, supporting each other. Um, I don't know. Or maybe there are family members that you are comfortable with, spend more time around them and less time around the ones that are harder. But as, you know, part of a partnership, we have to be, you know, accessible and available to the people we care about. We don't want to ever try to create that wedge where they have to choose. They shouldn't have to choose. And maybe sometimes she goes to the events without you, but I would want you to be present sometimes. It can't just be, I'm not going to go to uncomfortable situations. That's part of life and part of a relationship. Sometimes you'll be uncomfortable. Your partner's work events, but as long as it's not toxic, we have to go. Again, there are going to be unresolvable things and we can't make bigger issue of those. When we encounter them, we have to say, ah, yes, this is there it is. We knew that there would be one. Because if everything else is well, then this is one that's a gift. I work with some people where it's far harder. And so that's why I use the word we have to right size it. Doesn't mean that it's not hard for you, but there's things that could be worse. And these are the things that, you know, are just part of being with someone. So support her. Don't make her feel bad about it. She can't do much to change that. A lot of family systems will never change. Most of them, this is what it will be like forever. And if we want to be close to our family, we, we have to, you know, be present to it to get the good times. And we're willing to take those bad times for those good times. And again, this is where we show care and commitment, putting ourselves out for something that's important to our partners. Uh, if relationships don't have moments like that, then I don't believe they have a true relationship because that's when trust is built. Watch me prioritizing you, thinking in terms of us and we. If you see your family, well, then I'm going to be there as well and be present. So just try to right-size it and don't problematize it as big as, as much as you are maybe. Um, if you have questions for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Love hearing from y'all. And past episodes, as always, are over at wearechannelq.com. That is our show. Spend the rest of your night focusing on as much rest as you can, tons of uh, self-care and some little bit of joy and pleasure. We're trying to bring more pleasure into our lives. But we'll be back tomorrow, y'all. So thanks for hanging out. Take care of yourselves and each other. And uh, enjoy the rest of your night. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.